Hello everyone and welcome to the Mimetic Exegete podcast. I'm your host, Simon Skidmore. In our last episode, we considered the responsibilities and restrictions applied to the priesthood in ancient Israel. The priesthood's proximity to the primitive sacred necessitated certain protocols to avoid an outburst of divine violence. We could liken these procedures to our current response to the COVID-19 pandemic. To avoid the virus spreading, we are encouraged to remain at least 1.5 metres from each other. This spacing attempts to stop the spread of coronavirus, much like ancient Israel's arrangement of concentric circles of holiness around the tabernacle attempts to stop the spread of mimetic violence from the primitive sacred. The wearing of masks also approximates the tabernacle curtains, which prevent an outburst of divine violence by veiling the primitive sacred from unauthorized access. In a similar manner, mask covers our nose and mouth, the chief sources of respiratory infection, to prevent us from potentially spreading the virus to others. Today we pick up our study in Leviticus chapter 22 verse 17 which also guards against potential outbursts of divine violence by detailing the procedure for various offerings. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of the house of Israel or of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering for any of their vows or freewill offerings that they offer to the Lord, if it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male, without blemish, of the bulls or the sheep or the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be accepted by you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow or as a freewill offering from the herd or from the flock to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord your God or give them to be for the Lord as a food offering on the altar. You may present a bull or a lamb that has a part too long or too short for a freewill offering, but for a vow offering it cannot be accepted. Any animal that has its testicles bruised or crushed or torn or cut, you shall not offer to the Lord. You shall not do it within your land, neither shall you offer as the bread of your God any such animals gotten from a foreigner, since there is a blemish in them. Because of their mutilation, they will not be accepted for you. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When an ox or a sheep or a goat is born, it shall remain seven days with its mother, but from the eighth day on it shall be acceptable as a food offering to the Lord. But you shall not kill an ox or a sheep and her young in one day. And when you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you shall sacrifice it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten on the same day, and you shall leave none of it until morning. I am the Lord. So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. And you shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. 
Notice firstly that the writer addresses both the native-born Israelites and the foreigner. The Holiness Code anticipates foreigners dwelling among the Israelites and considers them in the laws and customs presented. As you continue reading through the latter chapters of Leviticus, you see this common theme that the laws presented apply to both the Israelite and the foreigner. Recall that the Canaanites defiled the land and caused it to vomit them out before the Israelites took up residence in Canaan. The legislator is determined to prevent history from repeating itself and for this reason commands both Israelites and foreigners to avoid defiling the land. To this end, the legislator forbids the offering of certain blemished animals upon the altar. Just as the priest who bears a physical deformity or disability is banned from the Lord's presence, so animals with physical imperfections are banned from the altar, because it will profane the Lord's holy name. Animals with imperfections may be eaten by common people outside the tabernacle precinct, but bringing these animals into the sacred space may risk an outbreak of divine violence. Again, things that are common must be kept to the outer rings of the camp, away from the Lord's holy presence. In chapter 23, the writer then presents important holy religious festivals for the Israelites to observe, including the Sabbath, the Passover, the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Booths. Rather than reading through this chapter verse by verse, I thought it might be more prudent to discuss each one and its importance from a mimetic perspective. For Girard, ritual reenacts the most dangerous moments of a mimetic crisis in the hope of avoiding divine violence. For example, early in Leviticus, we saw the person diagnosed with the Sarat Kitsian condition, often translated as leprosy, instructed to perform a pantomime of their own death outside the camp. This pantomime is substituted for the literal scapegoating and execution of the Sarat patient. I believe this idea of ritual as a pantomime of certain events presents a fruitful avenue for investigating various rituals. The first ritual addressed in chapter 23 is that of the Sabbath, upon which the Israelites are forbidden from undertaking any work. As we've discussed previously on this podcast, the Sabbath rhythm allows Israel to participate in the same creative rhythm with which the Lord created everything. As they imitate the Lord's creative rhythm, the Israelites perform a weekly pantomime of the creation week outlined in Genesis chapter 1 in the hope of maintaining and continuing the Lord's creative work. The next festival listed is that of the Passover, which reenacts the night in which the Lord killed the Egyptian firstborn while allowing all the Israelites to live. On the night of the Passover ritual, the Israelites share a lamb roast with unleavened bread with their family. The lamb is slain at twilight and its blood painted on the doorposts and lintels of each household. As we discussed previously, these acts present a pantomime of the original slaughter of the Egyptian firstborn, which secures Israel's departure from Egypt. The day following the Passover meal is treated as a Sabbath, in which the Israelites must do no ordinary work and marks the beginning of the seven-day festival. 
During the festival, the Israelites must offer daily food offerings to the Lord until it concludes with another Sabbath. The seventh-day Sabbath rhythm permeates Israel's religious festivals because through it, Israel continues the Lord's creative work. The Passover and the Festival of Unleavened Bread reenacts Israel's conception as an independent nation in their own right. The Feast of First Fruits celebrates a different type of rhythm, the rhythm of farm life. The Israelites are forbidden from eating any grain until they have presented their harvest of first fruits to the Lord. This period of fasting reenacts the anxious wait for the crops to sprout and grow while waving the first fruits before the Lord simulates the harvests. The abundance of the harvest is reflected in the lavish offerings presented to the Lord. By re-entering this anxious rhythm, the Israelites offer praise and thanks to God while hoping to receive bountiful harvest next season. The Israelites must then count a full seven weeks before presenting a second wave offering to the Lord, this time not of sheaves, but of flour and bread. Do you see what's happening here? The sheaves collected from the harvest have been processed into food for the Israelite people. In other words, this festival is not just concerned with the harvest, but also with the food created from the harvested raw materials. You see, God's creative work doesn't stop with the harvest of crops from the ground, but continues all the way through to the preparation of that food for the table. As Israel prepare food from their crops, they participate in the same creative rhythm that originally resulted in their bountiful harvest. Hence why the Israelites must count seven weeks before presenting their food offerings to the Lord. In this festival, we see another picture of Israel co-creating with God as they farm, harvest and prepare food for their families. But what about those who have no land and therefore no harvest or food? How do these displaced people participate in the creative Sabbath rhythm? Concerned for these people, the legislator writes, When you reap the harvest of the land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after the harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. Those who have no land participate in the Sabbath farming rhythm by gathering crops left for them in the corners and edges of others' fields. In this way, the poor and foreigners may still participate in this rhythm of harvest and preparing food. Again here, we see the Holiness Code's concern for the poor and the foreigner, who would otherwise be vulnerable to exploitation. The next round of festivals take place in the seventh month, beginning with the Feast of Trumpets. On the first day of the seventh month, a Sabbath day is proclaimed and the trumpets are blasted to announce the upcoming festivals. Another sacred Sabbath is proclaimed on the 10th day of the month, the Day of Atonement. On this day, people are to fast and do no work while the high priest enters the holiest part of the primitive sacred to make atonement before the Lord. The Day of Atonement reenacts the climax of a mimetic crisis, which threatens to destroy the entire community. While the High Priest does his work in the holiest part of the sanctuary, the rest of the community fast and remain still, 
lest a careless act or word incites violence from the primitive sacred. The image that comes to mind is one of a high priest as an explosive specialist who delicately works to disarm a bomb while everyone else keeps their distance. Like the explosive specialist, the high priest is performing the delicate and dangerous work of making atonement before the primitive sacred, and everyone else must be careful not to frustrate his efforts. Anyone who does not fast or afflict themselves on that day poses a threat to the entire community's safety, and for this reason must be cut off from their community. In this way, these malefactors are scapegoated to ensure the ongoing well-being of the community. A couple of days after the Day of Atonement, the Israelites celebrate the Feast of Booths, which again follows the Sabbath rhythm. The first day is treated as a Sabbath, as is the eighth. As Israel dwell in tents, they celebrate the same Sabbath rhythm which created them as a nation. By dwelling in tents and celebrating before the Lord, the community creates a pantomime of this very process. The community rejoices as it celebrates its flight from Egypt and their newfound freedom. This pantomime not only serves to remind the Israelites of their history, but when coupled with the Day of Atonement, also aims to ensure the community's continued freedom and happiness in the land. Their celebration recognises the successful work achieved by the High Priest, who has made atonement for them with the primitive sacred. The legislator then shifts his concern to the maintenance of the tabernacle lamp and showbread, which also represent a pantomime in their own right. Many have argued that the lampstand which was designed much like a tree, represents the tree of divine wisdom which gives light to the world. Like the primitive sacred fiery pillar in the desert, this lampstand burns through the night. This nocturnal light serves as a pantomime of the primitive sacred, which has the potential to consume like a fire, but also to bless with wisdom. The lampstand must be regularly maintained to contain this divine fire, to enjoy its beneficence while avoiding an outbreak of divine violence. Opposite the lampstand lies the 12 loaves of bread, which most scholars believe represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Just as mimetic violence threatens to destroy the community, so the 12 loaves of bread will be burnt if the lampstand is not maintained properly. These loaves also constitute part of the priest's allowance as they are to eat them in the holy place. Priests act on the Lord's behalf, consuming the loaves in yet another pantomime of divine violence. Each week, the loaves representing the 12 tribes of Israel are destroyed, and yet they are reborn as another 12 fresh loaves are placed on the table each Sabbath. In this way, we see the priest's role as the scapegoat graphically portrayed as they are credited with both the destruction and rebirth of the Israelite community. This is, of course, a picture of the primitive sacred, which has the power to both destroy and to create through that destruction. As communal scapegoats, the priest become the manifestation of that divine sacred, which becomes a curse in their lifetime, but a blessing in their death. 
the pantomime of the showbed portrays the priests as both a curse as they consume the people of Israel, but then a blessing as their community is once again reborn week after week. Thanks again for joining me on the Mimetic Exegete podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you may do so on the Mimetic Exegete Facebook group. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.